love has done its part And let him reign in my life and my heart If love has done its part Welcome to Healing Hidden Wounds Radio, sponsored by Shadow of His Wings Ministry. We are glad you are listening today and hope you find words of healing, insight, and restoration. Shadow of His Wings Ministry was founded by Lee and Shay Preston and born out of God's vision for setting captives free. If you would like to support us in the work we do, please visit www.shadowofhiswingsministry.com to donate. Today on Healing Hidden Wounds, Lee is talking with Jonathan Darty, director of Be Broken Ministries. Let's listen in as Lee and Jonathan discuss the ins and outs of recovery from sexual brokenness. This week we're going to talk about the issue of obstacles to healing. And this is for guys who are going through, um, you know, um, sexual addiction and trying to discover what's it going to take to recover and grow and get healthy. And you're already making the assumption there's obstacles to this process, right? Absolutely. I haven't seen it where there hasn't been obstacles yet. Now, of all of the obstacles that are available out there, available, it's like a menu, right? That right. doesn't sound right. Uh, there are all these obstacles that are out there. You're wanting to hone in this week just on one kind of, I don't want to say narrow, but one obstacle in particular that you feel like is really um, one that's important and one that maybe um, a lot of folks who are going into recovery feel like they want to either diminish it or they want to make it maybe even too bigger than what it is. I mean, there's a lot of different things that come in with this obstacle. So what is the obstacle that we're going to look at this week? Well, uh, the obstacle, I guess, if you wanted to look at an overall obstacle, uh, if you look at the grand scheme, it's a, it's an it's an obstacle of fear, being afraid of looking at pain. But the specific area of pain I want to talk about today is the obstacle of working through family wounding, uh, mom and dad wound, brothers, sisters wounds, those things that have come from your family that are very hard to look at because we tend to have a real uh, smokescreen of loyalty there. And I don't mean it's not real loyalty. I just mean it's it's hard to break through that whole loyalty um, wall that jumps up immediately, like don't talk about my mom and dad because they did the best they could. Well, that's just it. It seems like it's a loyalty that is saying, I'm going to, regardless of what I can recognize as the dysfunction, I'm still going to be loyal. And I think that is a difficult thing, especially for those uh, of us who are Christians, because the Bible says, honor your father and mother, right? I mean, so it's it's almost given as a command that sure. we're to honor our father. And and yet in that, I think we don't understand what that actually means in terms of honoring our father and mother. It's like, hey, no matter how they treated me, no matter how they hurt me or wounded me, I've got to honor. And it's like, well, you know, honor is a different thing than um, than accepting abuse and accepting uh, dysfunction. Sure. And it, and honoring means I can still tell the truth Absolutely, about how I was yeah. hurt. Honoring doesn't say I have to lie about oh I you know they didn't do anything wrong, uh, and I don't really think any guy comes in with this belief that oh I have to lie about them. I think it is truly uh, over the years we we just pack it in and and put things around it to make it feel better. 
you know, a little boy gets uh, forgotten at school one day because mom gets too busy and she looks up and it's 6.30 and she was supposed to pick him up at 4 and he's forgotten. You know, does that make her a horrible mother? Absolutely not. Does it cause a wounding? Absolutely. Right. Uh, and you may find guys later who joke about it sitting around, you know, the dinner table with their siblings or with friends and say, yeah, my mom forgot me when I was eight years old. But if you really delve into that, you might find that there's some pain there, and that pain can sometimes trigger your sexual addiction. Well, and that's that's part of the acknowledgement too, right? It's just saying that I'm going to acknowledge that there there were wounds that were created as a result of the environment I lived in in my family, whether they whether they were willful wounds that were inflicted on me or ignorant wounds. Absolutely, because the the fact of the matter is. A parent even doing the best they possibly can, they're imperfect and they're broken. And so there are just going to be times at which, you know what, you failed your kid Absolutely. on some level, even if the intention wasn't there. And that's part of what you're talking about. We, In terms of helping somebody really get traction in the healing process of sexual addiction recovery, they've got to look at those wounds, whether or not they had good parents or whether, sure. they not, whether or not they had really... Not so great, you know, intentionally abusive parents, you know. Well, and the crazy thing about it is, is it's it's almost like the minute you ask a guy, so tell me about your mom or tell me about your dad. And they say, well, there was this time that my dad slammed me up against the wall. There's this immediately. But exactly. (laughs) There's this immediate fill in the blank right after that. But you don't know what he went through as a kid. Or but you or don't then know. list the five or six really special times you had with your dad, you know, to try to balance it Absolutely. out for whatever that abuse was. Yeah. Absolutely. Or he tries to put an adult spin on it, like, but he only did that because, you know. And the truth is, is that, you know, the little boy inside all of us doesn't understand why he's getting slammed up against the wall or doesn't understand why he's getting forgotten or doesn't understand why, you know, mom fixing dinner for dad is more important than the really crappy day he had. All he knows in his eight-year-old mind is that this is what's happening and it hurts. Now, he doesn't know how to even express hurt at that point because he's only eight. He doesn't have these adult <laughs> coping mechanisms. Now, let me ask you, for our listeners' sake, are there any are there any wounds in this environment that are more conducive to leading a person towards sexual addiction? Or does it is it kind of a hit or miss? Does it really matter what kind of wounding has gone on? Or are there some that are just more likely to lead a person to want to go to their sexuality for soothing and comfort? Or does it really matter? Is there a broader spectrum of what kind of wounds can lead a person to, you know, going to their sexuality for comfort? Or does it really matter? I don't really know that it really matters. I think I can certainly think of all the ones that I think are the top ones. You know, loneliness, rejection, abandonment, feeling uh, left out, feeling like I don't fit in this family. Shamed. Shame. Uh, I'm not quite right. Fear of uh, failure, perfectionism in the home, performance in the home. I mean, all of those things. But I think it's, you know, it comes down to, sure, you know, there might be some connection there between a guy, a little boy who finds himself being lonely or abandoned or feeling like mom and dad's rejected him and he finds his own penis and he finds it soothing to touch it and and that feels better so that soothing piece sometimes comes in like we don't have a lot of touch in our home we don't have Mm -hmm. a lot of love in our home we don't have a lot of cuddles and well certainly i think it can be you know certainly sexual abuse there's a huge link between sexual abuse leading a person to uh skewed 
interaction and unhealthy interactions with their own sexuality later on in life, whether it be, you know, actually going to porn or becoming an abuser themselves, some way of being in control. Sure. There's a big connection probably between sexual abuse, but you're talking even in a broader sense of the emotional wounds and different things like that. That could be in part of a part of a family that for all intents and purposes is a healthy, normal family. Sure. Well, yeah, because most guys coming in who know they've been sexually abused see that as a huge wound. Sure, yeah. There's not as much of a wall packed in around it. It's usually more of a wall when it's just that dad never showed up to my baseball games or, you know, mom felt like, uh, you know, cleaning the toilets every Saturday was more important than sitting with me and playing uh, cards, you know, spending time with me instead of doing the baseboards. And And I know for me in my own personal story, just being able to recognize something um, as a wound or as a factor that would lead me to some of the, the behaviors that I eventually did was difficult. Because, for instance, in my home, um, I, again, while it wasn't intentional, there was a, this environment that seemed to value performance and appearance. Sure. Make sure the house looks nice. Make sure you look get Put your Sunday best on. Comb your hair. Every You know, there's an appearance issue there, which... Um, over time, I developed a secrecy of my ugliness, sure. a secrecy of my sin, because I come from an environment that says we need to appear like everything is going okay. Right. And so sometimes even even a person coming out of that home, it's hard to recognize, you know what, that's a wounding. That's a, that's a skewed, um, you were given a skewed way to look at life and a way to deal with problems in your life. Right. And so to be able to recognize that can be hard for somebody because it's like, well, if dad just backhands me, I can recognize, yeah, that's seriously a wound and that's not healthy. Right. You could, but the guy who grew up in that specifically might not be able to because, you know, there's a guy who gets backhanded every day and yet dad somehow says, you know what, I wouldn't do this if I didn't love you. And then it's like, oh, wow, okay, so this really means that you're trying to help me here. And I think another thing is so important is remembering that it's not really what actually happened. It's perception that's mm-hmm. 99% of it. Because I think it's so incredible for a guy to say, you know, I know my mom wasn't trying to hurt me when she did this. But at the time, what did you perceive? And it's like, well, that she didn't want to be around me. and Or, or even perceive, I'm going to die. Right. I mean, I don't, you know, because a little kid, especially if there's some sort of strong... Um, uh, abuse, whether it's physical or even emotional, it can feel like they have no capacity to be able to handle or filter or process what's actually going on. Right. And so I've thought about that even with my own children, because, you know, I had this kind of unhealthy fear of my dad. He's a big man, deep voice. And it's interesting because now as a father of smaller children, I realize that if I just if I just say something in a strong manner, not even raising my voice, not sure. even... I realize I'm an imposing figure on these children, even right. if from my perspective it's like I'm being I'm just being direct to them, it may actually appear like I'm being overbearing. Sure. And and scary. <laughs> right. Well and, and I think it's it's always important for any of us to look back and say, hmm, that first time, whatever that time was, where you found your first magazine or you stumbled into your own sexuality or something happened, and you have to ask yourself why didn't I feel comfortable going to mom and dad and saying, look, this is what happened today. What do you think about it? Because I think we kind of minimize the response after that, which is generally, 
well, number one, I was ashamed. Number two, I was afraid I might get in trouble. Number three, I was afraid of what they might think of me. Number four, the house was perfect, so I'm imperfect. I've just done something wrong. Mm -hmm. So if you look at all those things, then you may have to look at the fact that maybe your parents cared more about rules and regulations in your home than they did about your own heart. And so sometimes that has to be looked at. You know, if I if I felt completely comfortable to go talk to my mom and dad about everything that happened to me, then that would have been a great thing because then I would have had an adult perspective on a little boy who's trying to handle a really not so great situation. Yeah, and the and the the trick about doing that is to not be so quick to try to go to intentions. Sure. Because I think like what you're saying, perception is huge. You really not you really need to kind of step back into that child's mind and into that child's heart to be able to see those things, because what might happen in, in what you're talking about there is there may be an acknowledgement of what happened, but then they're real quick to say, but I'm an adult now, and I can see the intention behind maybe sure. what my parent was trying to do. It's like, whoa, time out. It's almost like what you're talking about in terms of the obstacle to healing, the obstacle to recovery, is more of the sense that a that this person has never learned how to, first of all, allow themselves to feel that pain and then actually process it in healthy ways. Absolutely. And to me, that's what you're saying is the major obstacle there. They're not sure. actually going, they're not actually healing from that pain. They just keep covering it up. True. And it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing revelation you'll have when a guy finally realizes, you know what? It's not even really about that my mom or dad hurt me. It's how did I feel about the pain mm -hmm. and what pain still resides there because it's there. Because technically, we can all walk away and say, I realized my parents were imperfect, and I realized they hurt me. That's not what we're trying to get to here. That's a pretty easy one. What's more important is, okay, now that I know that I can be honest with the pain that I experienced, how do I deal with it now? Because it is still there. Yeah, and, and now, what do you see as the major challenge to get a person to that point, to where they will allow themselves to to feel that, and then say, okay, I'm I'm going to allow myself to go back there in a sense and say, what was I feeling, and then deal with it. What is What are the, I mean, how do you get a person to that point where they're willing to do that? What kind of probing do you have to keep doing? What kind of, because it seems to me like you're going to have to do some, um, some pretty heavy lifting in terms of getting a person willing to open up to that level. Sure. Well, the biggest obstacle there is, as we talked about, number one, I'm not trying to protect my parents here. I'm just trying to look honestly at what happened because that's the first obstacle, trying to help them to see. You don't have to keep defending your parents every time we bring up this mm -hmm. wound. You don't have to keep telling me about how, oh, they didn't mean to and they wouldn't have done it if and they, you know, it's all their brokenness. And in a sense, when they're, when they're doing that, isn't it almost as if they're still the eight-year-old? Sure. Because what they're trying to convince in their own mind and is... And I don't mean that derogatory or anything. Well, it's not. I mean, that's what we try to do at the gateways is bring a guy to the point where he's only eight years old again so he can really see the pain. So that's mm -hmm. not a bad thing. But, you know, it's almost like he must get to that point. And if, if he's so caught up on, I must protect mom and dad, because really what the little eight-year-old always wants to know or believe, I guess, is that mom and dad love me perfectly. Mm -hmm. That's really what he wants to know. But unfortunately, most of the time, 99.99999% of the time, he wasn't loved perfectly because none of us are perfect. Yeah. So that's the first obstacle. The second one is what we all do as sex addicts, and that's minimizing. It's minimizing everyone else's feelings because guess what? 
ours were minimized. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not really hurt by that. Oh, get up and just move on. Get over it. You'll be okay. Brush it off. You know, put your big boy pants on. Whatever the phrases that were used in your family is minimizing. So it's like, wow, you want me to actually feel about the time that my dad cursed me out in front of all my friends? I don't want to. Yeah. Wasn't it a big deal? Well, and don't you also get the question, what does that have to do with me looking at porn and having affairs now? And that's exactly the next obstacle, and that is, well, guess what? You feel that same old wound. You don't think it has anything to do with, with, with your past. You just feel it, and you go off to try to medicate again like you did back when you were eight, and you went to bed that night, and you touched yourself, and you started feeling better because it just at least soothed away some of the pain of being humiliated that day. And that's really what ultimately comes out of the wounds in our family is a, is a shame grid. There's a pattern of shame. Right. That is that is associated with our being that somehow we're less than we're not as valuable we're not worth much because hey if if somebody was going to really value me and treasure me they would not wound me right Absolutely. they would not ignore me they would not say horrible things to me and so it's out of that shame grid that then we connect our sexuality to trying to soothe that shame. And you know what? That's a grid that can stay with us for a long time. It doesn't it doesn't break down in adulthood. And that's why when you're looking at porn now and you're masturbating, you're having these affairs, it's really still you're living from that shame grid. So there was this pattern developed out of those wounds in your childhood that said, I'm I am not worth much. Right. And you know what? Nobody wants to constantly be in that place where they think they're not worth much. So they got to do something to distract themselves from that. And you know what? Sexuality is a great distraction. Powerful. Great in the sense that it's powerful. (laughs) Absolutely. And I would offer us a little bit, a a little different ingredient into that grid. And that is that I think it starts as a pain grid. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about this example of a guy gave me one time about how you know, I asked him, I said, what do you do in the middle of the night when you wake up and you're scared and you just had a bad dream and it's thundering and it's lightning out there and you're thinking, man, there's a boogeyman under my bed and what, do you, what did you do? And he said, well, I knew I couldn't wake up my mom and dad because they'd get mad, but I'd go in there and I'd take my blanket and I'd just lay on the floor next to their bed. Mm. And it was just, it was a deep wound. It's like, wow. And he was like looking at me like, what do you mean? You know, it was okay. I was safe. I was in the room. But guess what? He had to realize, he had to minimize his feelings those nights and say, oh, well, at least I'm better off in here. But when I, he kind of came to the conclusion that, wow, what would have happened if I had a parent, specifically in this case, a dad, that I could have shook it, shake a little bit and say, hey, dad, wake up, I'm scared. And dad would have opened the sheets and said, hey, crawl in here, son, get in bed with me. I know you're scared and let's just, and now you're safe. You know, those, that's a stark contrast. So the first thing you see is you see pain. It's like mm-hmm. he's wounded because he's this little kid who doesn't feel worthy of crawling in bed with dad because dad gets mad every time that happens because don't wake dad up. You know, your, your fear is not worthy of me waking up. And I think that's exactly right because, you know, our, our shame grid is built out of whatever pain right. we, because it's out of that pain that then we start making some false assumptions about our personhood. That's right. Because it's like if we're wounded then, you know, to to deal with that wound appropriately or in a healthy way is to say, you know what, that hurt me, but you know what, I am, I was made by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Right. I was, I was valued even when I was in my mother's womb. He, he saw me before I was created. Right. You know, so there's, that's a, that's a huge contrast to then saying, I was wounded, I must be dirt. 
That's right. right. And that's where the shame grid gets developed. And sure. so what you're saying is they need to go back and actually acknowledge that pain. And in doing so and dealing with it in appropriate ways, that will actually start to dismantle that shame grid. Sure, because sometimes the shame grid gets developed out of how we respond to the pain. Mm-hmm. So he can't go crawl in bed with dad anymore. He gets scared. He's tired of sleeping on the floor. So he finds his penis and he's like, well, this is the next best thing. It feels better. I feel soon. But guess what? Once, once the, it happens, then guess where he goes next? Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't know right. why I'm touching Maybe myself. Maybe can't talk this to dad or mom about it. You know, right. Yeah. So the pain then that he felt led to shame, and he still can't talk to dad about either one of those because if he goes in and says, Dad, you really hurt my feelings because you wouldn't let me crawl in bed with you. Ah, get over it, sissy. Get back to bed, you mm-hmm. know. If he tells him, hey, I, now I masturbate because I was scared the other night, you know, it's like, oh, man, you're a dirty kid. So he really can't win for losing. So it sets this whole thing in place of this is how I now handle my feelings. And then it just snowballs that's from right. there because that's that's the, kind of the shame cycles. Then you do more of these things in the secret because you feel like you can't be uh, transparent in the light. Right. And so then, but the more you do these things in the secret, the more it kind of confirms the false notion in your mind, I'm, I'm a worthless piece of scum. Right. And that feels terrible. So I, I can't talk to anybody about that. I need to go do some more soothing. Be- and it's just a huge snowball. Huge, huge so cycle. now my question to you in the last few minutes that we have here is, what you know, I'm sure there's plenty of our listeners that are resonating with what we're saying here. That you know, yeah, I get that pain. Okay, I mean, I even as you're talking, I can kind of go back into my own eight, nine, ten year old self and go, yeah, I remember these things that happened. What would you tell a person that say, what do you do in order to actually heal from that pain and begin to dismantle that shame grid? What are some some steps or initial places that you can go to really start working through that? Well, I know this is gonna. sound very psychological and it's really not it's i think it's what god does for us he reparents us so i think what you have to do is even almost try and reparent yourself um one of the things that can help is to go back to that whatever wound that was you know um if it's mom felt like you know washing dishes was more important than you or whether it was dad who wouldn't let you crawl in bed with him because he was too tired and he wouldn't allow you to be a part of his bedroom because that was his sanctuary Mm -hmm. you know is going back and saying how did it feel well it felt like crap it felt really bad to get to be lonely and to be stuck in my room and to be so scared and have nobody to turn to Mm -hmm. to validate that to say, okay, guess what? Maybe instead of, oh, well, it was okay because dad worked full. You know, man, he had two jobs and he was tired. I wouldn't have wanted a little kid crawling in bed with me either. Instead of justifying it and trying to make excuses for him, just acknowledge as that eight-year-old kid, you know what? As an eight-year-old kid, it could be very scary to see tree limbs scratching against your, your bedroom window and to wonder what's going on out there and to have no place to go. You're scaring me now as you say that. I'm like, <laughs> absolutely. Now, how do you? Now, would you would you say that uh, you know uh, journaling about that can be helpful sure. to kind of sort of organize your thoughts a little bit? Because journaling helps. I think talking to your wife about it. You know, a lot of guys say, "Well, my wife's my best friend." Sometimes not in the midst of their healing because she's sure. upset. But you know, somebody who feels safe to talk to about it, a counselor. Hey, I can tell you this particular situation. It's coming to me all the time. I keep thinking about it. You know, and so I got wounded here. And so walking through that wound and kind of letting 
that eight-year-old self acknowledge that, you know what, I wasn't such a weird kid after all. Now, once a person is maybe either they're journaling or they're talking to somebody and they're sort of getting the story out in a way that says, I'm not going to be the defender of my parents. I'm just going to be honest about what I was feeling. Again, I think that's the highlighted part there. What I was feeling in response to feel, being neglected or abandoned or rejected or ridiculed or whatever. When they get to that point where they're starting to get the story out and feel it, what is the most important thing they need then in order to begin healing from it, well, to deal with it appropriately now? Acknowledging that the little kid wasn't so weird for having those feelings. Sometimes we have to acknowledge our own feelings because no one else did. And so even if that's inconsistent them. with how we felt at the moment, there's almost like a transcendent truth that we're going to have to begin to embrace and allow wash over us that, you know what, in that pain that I felt... It didn't change how the Father in heaven felt about me. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, about that reparenting, is the idea of saying, you know what, we did have in in our lives, in these points of wounding, lots of lies that were introduced about our our worth as as a person. And so it sounds to me like what you're saying is when that pain comes out and when you begin to acknowledge that little boy is not to blame for whatever any abuser did to them in any sort of fashion, whether physical, emotional, or whatever, in some ways you're basically embracing the truth that God says about us. Absolutely. And God is a great validator. He validates our pain all the time. Wow, son, that really hurts Mm -hmm. for your dad not to let you crawl in bed with him. Wow, son, that really helps to have you, to have your mom ignore you when you first come home from school because she's too busy getting other things done. Because then you have to go to the next place of dealing with the shame of how you handled that pain. So, Because guess what? That little boy feels terrible now because he's been masturbating because he got so afraid or he got ignored and he feels lonely. So the next thing is hearing God say, guess what? I'm not so upset that you chose masturbation. I really see why you did, and I want to remove the shame because now that you can deal with that pain legitimately then you won't have to turn to, to masturbation later. And see, to me, that's the most beautiful message, is that the same, the same way in which God can heal us from the pain by recognizing how he sees us is the exact same way he's going to heal us from the shame. Right. That even, even you know, we didn't, we didn't ask for this pain to be introduced into our lives. Absolutely. And so in that, God is saying, I agree with you. I didn't want you to experience pain either. That's right. And it didn't diminish your value at all. Then we respond through maybe some dark, shame-based behaviors. And even in that, God looks at us and says, and it didn't diminish your value in my sight either that you responded this way. So the healing is really ultimately going to come from getting that new, or should say fresh, perspective of how God sees us, whether in the pain or how we've responded through shame. Absolutely. We are glad you joined us today, and we hope that God had a special word just for you. Remember that Healing Hidden Wounds and Shadow of His Wings Ministry are listener-supported, and all services are provided on a donation basis. If you heard something today that was especially important to you, we hope you will consider donating a gift. Please visit www.healinghiddenwounds.com to donate today. Now let it rain in my life and my heart Your love has done its part